and welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago, and joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA. I was not given proper, proper cough time. Were you given proper cough time? You did not proffer a proper cough time. Very well done. <laughs> also joining us, Jed Brew, the director of Mission USA Productions. Wait, I'm confused. Is Professor Cough Time joining us? <laughs> Professor <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Sometimes Glenn did not get enough attention in the pre-show run-up, and you, That's the right. listener, get to experience that. Also, Professor Cough Time is the worst Flash villain. <laughs> <laughs> Joining us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, a man making his triumphant return to the podcast, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. I feel like when nothing's left, Glenn is just attacking the procedures. Yeah. That's what it is. That's fairly true. And we have a fantastic show lined up. We got some great questions. We got an interview with singer out of New York, Melanie Penn, who's released a really very cool Christmas album because it is that time of year to start thinking of such things. But we're people of tradition here on the Say That Podcast. And you know, there's a lot of folks who just that November one comes up and they want to skip right to Christmas. They want to put up the tree. They want to start singing carols. And uh, we don't support that because we don't want to give short shrift to the greatest holiday on the calendar. <laughs> Folks, it's Gripesgiving time. Oh, yeah. Gripesgiving. is a Gripesgiving emergency. The most wonderful time of the year. Indeed. For those of you who are new to the podcast or the concept of Gripesgiving, if you joined us in the last year, um, Gripesgiving is a holiday that was an invention of uh, one Glenard Fitzgerald. Yep. Uh, and that's the idea is, you know, Thanksgiving, you're supposed to be thankful, you're supposed to be positive, you're supposed to be warm and fuzzy, and that's great, but how how do you get there yeah. if you don't have, you know, a counterpoint? Yeah, that's right. If you don't express your bile. Yeah. And that we came up with Gripesgiving. Yes. The idea being, we will, we will do this on the Saturday after Thanksgiving up here in Chicago. Yep. We'll meet. There will be the Bowl of Wrath. Yes. Which everyone will put little slips of paper in with their gripe topics, and we will... The gripes master will pull them out, and then it's just a rantathon. You, you know, and this isn't this isn't saying like Thanksgiving is not valid. Sure, we 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 talk on the show. All I the like time stuffing about having a thankful attitude. It's very good, very positive. Sure. We we encourage that as much as possible. But you got to get your gripes out of your system. Yep, <laughs> can't let them build up. I mean, every year we all walk away from gripes giving like. Five pounds lighter. Yeah. I mean, some of that is just sweat loss because at a certain point, you know, you just, it's pretty sure. physical exertive to have Spittle. that much rage. Yeah. The the level of vulgarity is off the charts. Yeah. Which is, it, which normally with us, it's, it's pretty much there. But the ladies really, <laughs> they come out of their shell for Gripesgiving. And that's always entertaining. On Gripesgiving, anything can happen. That's right. And keep the spirit of the season in your heart. Yeah. And if you'd like to buy your own Gripesgiving kit, feel free to email saythatpodcast.gmail.com for the low, low price of we'll make it up later. You can have your own home version. But really, we don't want to lose sight of what the season's about. Oh. And that's about complaining, whining, moaning, yep. griping in general. Yeah. So, gentlemen, I open the floor Whoa. for Gripesgiving 2019. Wow. wow. It's, it's, it's that magical time of year. We've arrived. The gripes flow like fine wine. Yeah. Yeah. Can I think, you know, and probably in future years, we ought to have just a, you know, an award of the most gripable gripe 
topics of yeah. the you know gripe elements of the you know, year. Great Pulitzer. Yeah. It would be tough for politics to not be number one. Yeah, yeah that's going to be way up there. And I and and not like you, you may be hearing this and you're saying, do you mean your politics instead of my politics? And my politics is great, and everyone should celebrate. No, yours too. Yes, all politics. Also mine. Yeah. Also everybody's. Yeah. Just, just stop it. Just can we just <laughs> stop it? Yeah. That kind of thing. So it's it, it'll be it's almost like that's eclipsed everything else, you know. Yeah, that's a, that's a very very strong start. Yeah. Well, yes, but I think we we need to keep in mind griping doesn't have to be a, a world level thing. It doesn't have to be. Mm, that's the true. Big things. It's the they say it's often the rock in your shoe. Yeah. That drives you the most crazy. So feel free feel free to get petty, gentlemen. Well, you know, I think uh, it's a, it's common, but it's common for a reason. But Chicago weather. Yeah. Man. Now, are we talking the cold or the darkness or both? I'm talking about the darkness, and I'm talking about the world record cold that's already dumped two loads of snow on this town. (laughs) Yeah. I'm talking about the fact that it snowed a week and a half ago, and there's still ice on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's gripeable right there. Like, it's one thing to be like, oh, you know, you may live in a place that's cold, dear listener, and you think, oh, this is bad. Uh, It's a safety hazard. Yeah. Yeah. Around this town, this year, it's already happened. There'll be people, businesses, high rises, and whatnot, who they just put out a sign that says, look out for falling ice. Right. It might as well just say death from above. <laughs> That's right. One of those, we can't fix it. We can't get rid of it. Yeah. Just try not to die from winter impaling <laughs> itself through your skull. It, it, it's a skyscraper. It's got ice on it. It's coming down. It's falling from several hundred feet. Yeah. Good it's luck. your time. Yeah, that's that's right. You shouldn't have moved here. That's your fault, really. <laughs> that's right. Well, well, since you invited the, the petty, oh, uh, indeed. Gripes, I, I think I have one that I believe is fairly universal, and uh, we had a taste of just minutes before we started recording, and that is Comcast Internet Service. Oh, my gosh. Hey. Couldn't you not? Yeah. You charge way too much. Why don't you just yeah. do the thing you say you're going to do? This is what I'm saying. I actually had a conversation with someone at Comcast where I said, here's the deal. Uh, The internet service that you provide, you have not been providing to me for the past (laughs) six days. Um, So what I'm going to do is I'm going to prorate that and not pay you for those six days. There you go. How do you... what, What do you think of that? And they were like, no, sir, you cannot do that. You must pay us the agreed upon amount. And I said, well... We okay. If we had an agreement, the agreement was I pay you this amount, you provide this service. You did not do your part, so right. I'm gonna not do my part. And they said, That's not the way it works. Okay, uh, I want to burn the whole world down now, right? Now, that is the spirit of gripescaping. You nailed it. Every here's the frustrating, most frustrating thing to me about Comcast Hit me. every time I've had to call them, and you know, I'm just ready to just absolutely jump down somebody's throat. <laughs> the individual I'm doing with couldn't be lovelier. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's Just sir, really... we're so sorry this happened to you, and I've had the same thing. We're going to do it. We're going to get a thing. You're going to get a free week. <laughs> it's like- You know that's part of the training. But then this poor customer service person, here's what I'm saying. Just put a jerk on the phone. Yeah, that'd be Just easier. go down to the, to the corporate boardroom, get <laughs> some dude who really, who still wears the, col- the like a tie with this college where he got his MBA. Yeah. Right. And make him work yeah. this phone for just like 30 minutes a day. Yeah, yeah. 
And just, you know, when I call in and say, oh, my internet's not working, you say, like, well, you know, have you thought about innovating a solution on your own and for the free market? And I can just yell at that guy. Right. What you're looking for is the guy who has the overly nice car that he parks all the way at the back of the parking lot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that guy. Yeah. Put him right. on there because that, that guy needs to be taken down several pegs. Yeah. So I, I, have, a, I have a gripe that this is going to seem petty, fellas. Well, I'm it's just the gonna... season. So here's the deal. On this show, we love our super fans. Yeah, and we love and we love feedback. We love when people respond to the show and you know take a question further, kick it down the road, get to get you know find out more of what we think on this. Recently, we had a podcast episode where we mentioned, uh, and Glenn and I were especially on this train, how much we love the candy corn. Yeah, and we got some feedback from uh, from people that said you guys are wrong. Candy corn sucks. I'll tell you what. Uh, you can keep that to yourself there, yeah. feedback person. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And let me tell you what else is sweeter. Discount post-Halloween candy corn at the hardware store. Yeah. Stand up when you preach, Glenn. And I'm telling you, that's like, ha-ha, uh, and how, it's beautiful. How much Thank candy you. corn did you buy? Well, they, they, they only had so much... In that shopping cart, that was it was only a partially full shopping cart. Okay. So you know it wasn't okay. that it wasn't a crazy amount. Sure. As the representative of the anti candy corn and therefore correct and morally upright coalition uh, on the show, you can buy it cheap at the hardware store. <laughs> is not necessarily a great argument in favor of a food stuff. Let me tell you. Let me tell you what. Along with. Uh, uh, candy corn awesomeness deniers. We also need a list <laughs> in a, in our list of things to gripe about. Okay, this has gone from gripes giving to enemies list. Very yeah. worrying. Let me tell you what. I'm a, I'm going to bring us all together as one people. Oh no, calories. Yes. Screw yeah. calories. Yeah. It's oh. a, that. No, I'm done. Who made up Bold. calories? Yeah. So just stop yeah. it. Well, you know what? I I know who made up calories. I got a gripe against thermodynamics. Oh, what did yep. they ever do it's for about anybody? Somebody, yeah. About time somebody did. This is what I'm saying. Let me tell you. I'll what. tell you what I can create or destroy. You're not the boss <laughs> of me. I can find any piece of information anywhere in the world with the device in my pocket. Yeah. You can't make me a vegetable that tastes like chocolate. Get on it, science. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know what I Glenn mean? with the rare pro Monsanto take. <laughs> <laughs> the only problem is they haven't gone far enough. This is what I'm saying. Let me tell you what. If corn tasted like candy corn. Let's go. Uh, say it. See, I just exploded your whole brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's it. If that happened, we would all we would all be healthy. Yeah. We would all be wearing the same jumpsuit like they have in the future. No doubt. It's very silvery. You know, it's like a silvery jumpsuit. We're all wearing. With the one yeah. diagonal stripe for no reason. We would travel everywhere in tubes. Get to work now Yeah, on the candy slash vegetables technology. Sure. Let's go. Because it's time to fix some things. Here. Come on, science. Given that the idea of eating a cob of candy corn has so <laughs> dented my brain. I'm going to go ahead and declare Gripes Giving emergency off. Oh. Yeah. We hope 
you enjoy the version we're sure you all play with your own bewildered and unsuspecting families. There you go. Uh, so one thing we surely have no gripes about is Bridgebox. Mm. Comes out the first of every month. You can sign up at missionusa.com slash Bridgebox. Get that right in your inbox. Get sermons from Glenn and myself. You get songs from all sorts of great, talented friends we have to work with each around a topic that we hope the folks enjoy. Missionusa.com slash Bridgebox. All right, we're going to jump to our first question here. If you hang out with us all the way in, I'll give some ways to get in touch with us, or you can scroll down into your episode description and click on the links there. First question comes in anonymously, and it says, I'm trying to be encouraging to people I work with who are going through a hard time. Some are simply homeless or struggling with addiction, just listening to them and giving them some basic dignity. But I sometimes feel like it doesn't count as ministry because there's no structure to it. We're not moving through anything. We're not moving toward anything, really. Is structure as important as I think? And an excellent question, and Glenn, I think we get this something along this from a lot of folks, be that people at work or people, friends or people at school, and kind of, I'm just trying to be nice and do some encouragement, but because it's not a Bible study or it's not a, it doesn't have a, a an evangelistic presentation at the end, does that even really count? And where would we start with that idea? I actually get this question a lot uh, about you know having a system, having a structure, a ministry methodology that you're cranking out in in a sort of a systematic way. Um, you could you know I don't know if you guys know this, but Kurt Cameron has a whole thing based on the Ten Commandments. It's a whole system. Whoa! Where you you make sure that they are fully aware of what it gotcha sinner <laughs> that they're a sinner, and then you know then you then you really you know. Glenn, do you think of yourself as a good person? <laughs> yeah. Have you ever made a graven image before? Like, if they, th- if they think of themselves as a good person, you ruin that. Looks and up then- from Statue of Building of Moloch? Yes. <laughs> Why? <laughs> well, here's the fun thing on that. Glenn is actually a really amazing guitar builder, but he's been working on figuring out how to put artwork on guitars, and he has literally graven made graven them. images in the past <laughs> wow. week. Well, that's sort of true. Sitter! What's wrong with you? <laughs> I did put a kraken on the on the guitar. Sooner, yeah. So yeah. <laughs> the second time this episode, Jed has made a lot of people wonder if their headphones are dying. <laughs> and in two different directions, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so yeah, I think I do actually get that question a lot. You know, should should I have a system of some kind? And uh, the answer is no. You you don't need one. It's not going to help. It's not going to make things better. Uh, I think sometimes uh, it, it helps us to have a sense of structure of just you know, ha- you know measure where am I at how how should I be doing this, but I think the right way to measure ministry certainly the way that I do it is to ask is this person moving closer to the Lord? Amen. If that's happening, that's ministry. You're doing it. That's the definition of what ministry is, is helping people move closer to the Lord. So that might be, if I'm talking to somebody and they are uh, an avowed atheist and they move into, maybe there's some possibilities, that is them moving closer to the Lord. It's a long, long ways from where we want them to be, but I'm not hung up on where I want them to be. That's not... I, it's I'm not writing a script for where I want them to be, and then they have to fulfill that. Mm-hmm. That would be 
really bad ministry, and that that's where a lot of that comes from. Uh, it's it. Uh, I've had people who've come to me and said, "You you told me about the Lord, uh, you know, a dozen years ago, and every time you saw me, you talked about it, and I wasn't really ready, and I you know I blew you off, and then I thought about it, and then I went back on it, and then I." Thought about some more, and I backed and forth, and up and down, and sideways, and then eventually things really went wrong. And I started looking for answers. I thought of what you said, blah blah blah. And I'm sorry that you were so, you know, that I that I took so long and 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 wore you out with that and whatever else it mm-hmm. is. I've heard that many many times in my career, but I can take all of those people and and show you a chart of every single time I talked to them, they were closer to the Lord. Mm-hmm. They were. They had moved closer in their consideration, in their thoughts, their lifestyles, all over the place. It's messy and whatever, and that's a function of being pretty far back and pretty distant in their relationship with the Lord. But the the idea here is, as if I'm moving them forward, eventually this person is going to make a, 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 a decision towards their salvation. Eventually, they'll grow in their faith. Eventually, they'll share that faith with others. They'll all get where it's going. Uh, and the final thought on that is to eliminate speed as a consideration. Uh, speed does not create good ministry. No. Mm. I want people to think this through in every way. I want them to ask every question. I, I want, I don't, you know, sometimes people filibuster or just trying to get attention and you have to be able to read that. But I want as many hard questions as I can get because you're going to be a lot more stable in each step that you take. Uh, that way. So slow and steady actually tends to be better. Uh, there are times when people say, I'm ready, let me just, I'm ready to accept and I'm ready to dive in. And I will actually slow them down. So, okay, well, let me just make sure we you know, hit all the different elements of this just to make this as conscious a decision and be as clear as possible. So if you feel like you're going too slow, you you probably are going about right. Absolutely right. I think that's a lot of very, very good stuff, and it's important places to start on this. And Leah, I'd love to get you to pick us up there, because I think exactly as Glenn is saying, a big part of this is going to come from a redefinition, maybe for ourselves, of what it means for to use words like to minister to someone, to help someone, to move someone along. So what are the, what are the signposts we should have that help us put this in the proper context? Yeah, that's a great way to frame it. I, I would start off by saying um, the the last thing that Glenn just shared about the the time piece. Um, I would rewind that and listen to it again. I'd love to myself to go back and listen to it again. Even in my own ministry life, um, I, I think it's so easy for us to beat ourselves up on that. That I'm not seeing results yet. I'm not. Uh, you know, we haven't hit the we haven't hit the goal line of where I want to be yet. Um, that was such, such great wisdom for anybody that's in ministry, because the longer you can stretch out the arc of time, the more you will be able to fend off discouragement. I think that's so, so important. One of the things that I think is so interesting is that a lot of times we're not aware of the ministry we're doing because sometimes the Lord is using us in the exact place he's gifted us, and it feels easy. Because this is what you were made to do. It's a very interesting thing. A lot of times, we don't count things that are not really, really difficult or sacrificial. So, for instance, you meet up with somebody that's having a hard time. And 
you talk with them, you listen to their whole story, and at the end of that, you say, man, that's really hard. I'm so sorry that you're going through that. Um, can, can I pray for you? And you pray for them, and then you get in your separate cars and go your separate ways. Um, for a lot of people, they would feel like, well, I didn't really do anything. That was actually really pleasant and easy. I just met with them, listened to them, and yeah, I kind of prayed for them at the end, or I told them I'd be praying for them or whatever. The truth is, you have ministered to that person. If it didn't feel if it didn't feel difficult or scary or like way way out there, it's because God made you for that. Um, he's gifted you for that. He has given you in His Spirit inside you, like uh, just kind of a, a a big boost from having doing you know having done the thing that He called you to do. A lot of times we have the feeling that if it's not extremely difficult, extremely um, you know, uh, sacrificial in some way, then I haven't done ministry. That's not really the case. Um, you may, you may hang out with somebody that you just love being with and you spend some time listening to them. You give them a word of encouragement. Um, when they were down and discouraged, you've ministered to them. What I love to do is, is to look at the words of Jesus on this. Jesus said, and I'm, I'm not interpreting this in any way. I'm not dumbing this down or any in any way, but Jesus said this, if you give a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, mm-hmm. you will not fail to receive your reward. Dang. You know what that means? Ministry is a whole lot easier than we think it is. Um, the things that count as ministry are, are things that you can do right now today. When you help somebody, you've ministered to them. If you listen to someone, if you pray for them, if you meet some need in some way, you've ministered to them. Um, you know, it may not be showy things. It may not be, you know, something that you could put in a letter to somebody or anything like that, or some story somebody's going to tell in a sermon or something like that. But being present, being encouraging and loving, those are all ministry things. I would add this, and I think this is where some of the difficulty or, or sacrifice can come in. I would say that to the extent that the Lord is calling you to it, consistency in a relationship is a huge part of ministry. Simply being someone who is consistent in someone else's life, someone who listens, someone who encourages, someone who's there for them, but someone who is consistent in that, that is a huge mark of real and deep and good ministry. The last thing I would say is when you've got something as pointed as what you're doing, helping the homeless and and people with addictions and stuff like that, that's an area where you want to get some expert advice um, so that you can form some some good goals so that you can know what you're looking at. You, you know, there, there may be some structures that you need to put in place at that point. And, you know, when you, when you hear from the other guys on this podcast, they are working with, um, in these types of situations, all of the time. They can give you very, very good advice, goals, things to avoid, things to look out for, red flags, all that kind of stuff. Um, So when you're in that kind of ministry, there are some things that are really important to consider and some things that that you can be looking at that say like, okay, this is what we want to be moving toward. But all that to say, whenever you're discouraged about whether or not you're being used, go back to the words of Jesus. You give a cup of cold water to somebody who needs it you will not fail to receive your reward. The other thing I would mention is that that beautiful verse in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, where he says that God is not unrighteous and he will not forget your work of faith and your labor of love. 
And that is a really, really good reminder. It's a thing to help you. Um, to, it's a thing that you need to remember yourself as you are going out and you're trying to follow the Lord's lead and you're trying to encourage and help people and meet their needs, that whatever you do in that spirit, God will never forget it. Even stuff that you've forgotten or stuff that you didn't count because it didn't feel showy or flashy or sacrificial or difficult or whatever, he counts. He counts it and he'll never forget it. And that's an encouraging and a good thing to remember. Indeed it is. And Jed, I'd love to get you to close out here. I think Glenn and Lee have given us a lot of very, very good stuff. And it's been focused on the idea of ministering to people, which is certainly something we, we want to make the point on the show that everyone can do. Um, I think both these guys did a great job putting uh, some helpful definitions and ideas behind that. But let's, let's maybe move out of that because yeah. not every situation where we're being encouraging someone are, is our primary goal to minister to them. Sure. You know, the person in the question says, these are people I work with. Um, that could mean coworkers. That could mean someone you supervise. That sure. could mean people you're, you're not. And you do have, at times you will have a superseding relationship to someone than a ministry one. You know, yep. The things we're talking about, with, whether that be you know, the people we work with at the bridge and at the jailhouse or the folks leaders down in Tennessee, the, the primary definition of our relationship is we are ministering to them. So that, yeah. that drives it. But then there are people who you have a different type of relationship with, but you still want to, as the person says in the, I think a really awesome way in the question, treat them with dignity to, to listen to them, to encourage them where you can. How does what your overall goal is help someone do the best they can? And as these guys have been really giving some really good stuff on contextualize what they're doing. That's a great question. And I think goals is really the right word. And I, and I totally want to reinforce everything that Glenn and Lee have already said. I think if you've grown up around church culture, especially if you've grown up around evangelical culture, it's so easy to get the idea that the only thing that matters is evangelism and anything that isn't that or directly driving towards that just doesn't really count and doesn't really matter. And I want you to hear all of us say loudly and clearly, that is wrong, that it's not true, and right. it's not biblical. Um, I, I want to uh, take even further what Lee rightly already said. When Jesus talked about the way he would literally judge the world, it was, I was hungry and you fed me sick and yeah. you visited me. It wasn't that I was hungry and you fed me and therefore we were able to have a spiritual conversation. It's just, no, I was hungry and you fed me. Serving other people in the eyes of the Lord has an inherent value. Um, obviously, evangelism is a very important thing. We do a lot of it in our work, but this kind of um, post-Billy Sunday, really, idea that that is it. There's that and there's nothing else. That, and that's just not a biblical idea. So, Having a sense of what the goals of these relationships are, what these interactions are, is really, really key. Um, you know, I'll give an example of what I mean. We know a lot of people who work with folks who are experiencing homelessness. Um, some of the folks that we work with, their only goal is to uh, feed. Is They operate a soup kitchen. And so if you come in and you get a bowl of soup, and hopefully you enjoy the soup, We've succeeded. We did everything we set out to do. We know other people that do work with homeless folks, and their goal is long-term housing. And they're actually really good at it. They do a great job with it. And uh, so that's the thing that they're driving at there. One of these is not better than the other. One of them right. is not more important than the other. Uh, one of them is not more Christian than the other. Uh, and to be clear, we actually have yet another group of friends that are focused more on direct ministerial stuff with people uh, who are experiencing homelessness, where evangelism and discipleship is really, those are the primary goals. All three of those matter. All three of them are good, but one of them is not more biblical than the others. They're they're all 
good. They're all valuable. The key thing is, what is God calling you to do in your specific situation? And on that basis, how do we achieve it? Because again, we, we, a lot of us have that unspoken bias of there's evangelism. That's really the only thing that matters. And we wind up with this question in our heads, where's this going? And if I don't have a compelling answer to where's this going, then it's not worth doing anything. Mm-hmm. And I want to take you back to the words of Jesus. I was hungry and you fed me. There isn't a therefore on the other end of it. It was just, I was a human being who was suffering and you did something about that suffering. That's full stop. So when you talk about someone who has been deprived of dignity in their life, and then you go and you show them dignity, that is honoring to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That is good and right and beautiful. Where is this going doesn't we actually don't there's 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 no where is this going police that we have to satisfy on this if you are meeting a need and that's the need that the lord is calling you to meet in in those relationships then that's it that's awesome we want to stay in touch with the lord as that grows and evolves and and changes and again that's not well your dignity doubt but evangelism tomorrow that might be dignity doubt dignity (laughs) dignity now which is a surprisingly hard two words to say and then six months from now, we realize, you know, there's a need I keep seeing these guys have. It's kind of messing with the whole dignity thing. I didn't realize it before, but now I can see it. And so now a lot of folks experience homelessness that we deal with. I'm not making this up as a real thing. Socks is a big deal in the winter. Mm. Just clean, warm socks that have no holes in them. If you hang out with enough dudes who are experiencing homelessness, you will discover that. You'll be like, well, dude, I, I want to give you dignity and socks. Can I help you with your sock thing? Um, that's great. That's awesome. And, and things should grow and evolve in that sense. But that's not the same as feeling like I have to satisfy this question of where is this going? What you're doing right now is beautiful. It's honoring to the Lord and we celebrate it. We super do. And it, it really does tie in with all these guys have said and what Jed is up there ties into a concept we talk about a lot on the show, which is the idea of uh, Christians want to do it hardcore and do it like um, insert dead guy who lived a long time ago here would have done it if he were here. He totally would have, you know, D.L. Moody totally would have moved this guy into his house, man, and washed his uh, sores. And that's what he would have done because he was Christian and I want to be Christian. And it's just not wildly helpful because as Jed is saying, there are maybe there'll come a day where you're called to take someone into your home. Maybe not. Um, There's no cheat to starting with the things that are convenient and easy if they are also good. So let's say you work in an office building and it's the same janitor who's out in the, uh, the floor every day, kind of outside when you go out to leave. And if you learn his name and say hi to him and you can tell that that makes him feel good and that's all you ever do for that person, you've, you've improved things. Kind of takes back to where Glenn started us. We, a lot of what we do in the calculus, both in our work and to be honest, when we're just kind of dealing with people in our personal lives is, is this, is this thing better than it was? Because if you get in a mode of trying to make every interaction you have with someone better than it was, you're going to get a lot of good stuff done. It's, no doubt. It may not be wildly, um, it may not feel wildly Christian. You may not have, you know, so many heartrending stories. You'll, you'll probably get some along the way. But again, that's, you can go to a structured opportunity to volunteer or to uh, do something with that kind of stuff. There's no need to br- to bring that into everything. That's not really sustainable, you know. Um, being nice to the wait staff at a restaurant, you'd be shocked how many people don't do that, and how good a Christian witness not yeah. being a jerk and tipping like a person can be wherever you go to lunch on Sunday. And that does that 
turn into a thing where this is your normal Sunday lunch spot. And now these guys come to church, maybe, but it doesn't have to turn into that for it to count. So, all right, we are going to move on to a say that interview. This is singer songwriter Miss Melanie Penn who has a Christmas album out. Maybe you're the type of person who just simply adores Christmas music and is looking for something new. Maybe you're the type of person who really can't stand any of the Christmas music you hear and would like to see if anybody can take a whack at doing something original. This is for both of those audiences. Her Christmas album, Emmanuel, the Folk Sessions, is out now. Had the opportunity to talk with Melanie. We'll take it to that right now. Um, so why a Christmas record? Um, you know, there's obviously a fair amount of it out there, but you're doing one that it's not just standards, it's your own spin. So, uh, what is Christmas music special to you? Did you see something in there you wanted to say? Why, why Christmas? Well, I, that's a great question. And, uh, when I'm asked it, like I never planned to write Christmas songs or ever do a Christmas album. In fact, I started writing these songs kind of by accident and I was, preparing to do another album with my producer in Nashville. And he was like, Hey, why don't you send me everything you're working on? So I sent him all the songs that I was writing and kind of, you know, attached to the email or whatever. I was like, Oh, by the way, I've, <laughs> I started writing songs around, around Christmas time and I included them just to, you know, for the sake of being comprehensive, I included those songs in the Dropbox that I sent him. Anyway, he called me immediately and he loved the songs and he said, I think you're writing a Christmas album. Like, you got to see this through. So that kind of steered our attentions to finishing Emmanuel. And he was right. The songs on Emmanuel became so special. And I was a little trepidate. I experienced a lot of trepidation bringing new Christmas music to the world because it is such a well-trod space and people love Christmas carols. They love their familiar Christmas songs. So to add new songs to the world of Christmas music felt like uh, I'm in sacred territory, but so far they have been really loved. And I just hope there is an arc to this project that lives on like that, you know, goes way beyond me. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the full title, if I'm correct, is Emmanuel the folk sessions. So I was reading on some of the background that your publicist sent me and you're, you're classically trained and did Broadway for a little while. Is that right? I am. So my, my career as a singer, I was, I was groomed from a very young age to be an opera singer and I went to study vocal performance in college and somewhere along the line, I just started to feel like, you know, I don't know. I don't know if opera is going to be for me. There were some, there were some like vocal deficiencies where, I just knew I was going to get into the professional world of opera and like hit a ceiling. Mm. And I thought, I thought, okay, well, I know I can sing. Like, I know I can perform. I'll just go to New York and be on Broadway. Like that's so easy. And so I, and so I moved to New York and I was in the Broadway world for a long time. And then the Lord started to activate my heart to start writing songs. So I actually came to songwriting pretty late in life. Like I was in my late twenties and started writing songs as a new year's resolution, just as an experiment. And here I am like four albums later, I'm releasing another one in 2020 and just kind of walking the path that the Lord has marked out. Yeah. So uh, at what point, and so you're doing opera, you've, you've done, you do the Broadway stuff. Uh, yeah. What, 
what point does folk music come into that? Is something that's something you always dug? Is that also something you came to later in life? Well, to be clear, you know, we called Emmanuel the folk sessions because this is um like I told I told the Emmanuel story first in 2017 with an album that was called Emmanuel, and that was so well loved that my producer and I wanted to reimagine these songs and record them with a bluegrass band. Oh, wow. And I've always had like a bluegrass kind of ability in my voice. Like I love singing John Denver songs and I grew up singing Judy along with Judy Collins albums, you know, and Simon and Garfunkel. So I can always, always kind of tap into that sound in my voice. So, so that's why we wanted to record all the songs live in the studio have a bluegrass band. There's a band called the Arcadian wild. They're based in Nashville. They're a bluegrass trio who guest on the album. And I think it's just turned out beautiful. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And as someone from East Tennessee, I feel like I can, uh, have a semi-authoritative voice on things that are bluegrass because I grew oh. up within an hour of where Dolly Parton was born. So I feel like that gives me something inherent. Oh, there you go. And it is super fun. You can definitely tell that the the live band is in there. And the construction of the album is also really interesting to me in the sense of songs from the point of view of particular characters in the Christmas story. It was it was really interesting to to listen through that and kind of hear a perspective I you know if you grow up in church if you do even a lot of Christian media stuff around Christmas it's kind of a 90% Mary story and a little bit of a Jesus mm. story and maybe if yeah if pastor's digging deep this year he'll talk about Joseph so yeah yeah to, to get some of those other characters involved what did you did that did you learn anything from that did that make you think about I this did. story differently well I totally did and one thing I hope people get out of these songs because e each song is an original song written from the first person of a character in the Christmas narrative. Right. And so as I was writing the songs, I really dug into my imagination. I'm like, well, what was it like to be Gabriel? You know, like, what was it like to be like an angel who goes to tell Mary, like, Hey, I'm going to defy everything you think about your life and everything you think could happen and tell you that like, you're going to have a child who's going to save your nation and not just your nation, but all people like, what did that feel like? And, and what did Joseph think? Like what I, I, I wanted to get into the minds of these people, you know, with the help of the Holy Spirit and try to write a song from their perspective. And I did, I did learn a lot. I researched a lot too. Like there's things about Joseph. He's kind of an overlooked character, but a lot of biblical scholars posit that Joseph probably died sometime when Jesus was an adolescent. And you never think about that. Like, but Joseph isn't at the wedding at Cana. He's obviously not at the crucifixion. Like Mary appears later in Jesus' life as Jesus enters public ministry and Joseph is not there. And I had never thought about the fact that like, man, Jesus probably lost his earthly father some at some point as a young man. Like there's not much that Jesus didn't suffer that we suffer through as well. And that's just one example of how writing the songs made me think about these very familiar characters in a deeper way. Yeah, that's incredible. And it's really f fun to me how the, the bluegrass kind of sensibilities really mixed so well with that there's so much in the christmas story be it joseph be it even mary that is in a weird way you know the the scene in the manger is not really a happy ending it's a little bit 
Right. It's a little bit rough. You know, Mary's and Joseph's life is, they still have a lot to go through. And there's kind of that bluegrass, if for people who aren't familiar with it, is is oddly comfortable with a lack of resolution and a little bit of right. of tension in things. It's such a, a fun way to tell that story. And when you, so we, we talked about kind of touring this around recently. What's that experience like? Because you're saying, you know, people... Christmas stuff and Christmas program. It's some people yeah. are very attached to those, maybe very traditional about. So when you when you go take these songs out and kind of in involve yourself in other people's Christmases, what's what's that yeah. like? Well, overall, it's been so wonderful, and I have felt I have felt like it helps me get through Christmas better. If that makes sense, you know. Mm. I think that the holidays can be really hard for people and I would put myself in that category sometimes because I'm like, you know, I'm an artist. I like, I work so hard. I don't have much of a personal life. And then Christmas comes around and I'm like, wait, where I don't have the roaring fireplace surrounded by a big family, Mm. you know? And so when I get to bring these songs to people, it helps me feel like, well, I do have a family. It's like us, like all of us sharing this music. And so for me, it's really helped me get through the holidays and feel like I can really make a contribution. And then from an audience perspective, I just feel that the songs have been really loved. And I've had, I've had people just say, thanks for making this story new to me again. I mean, you, you never want to take Christmas for granted, but the story is now 2000 years old. So on some level, we're all taking it for granted. We're all so familiar with it we forget like how insanely crazy this was that God was born as a baby in the middle, you know, in the, in the middle of the Middle East to people who were not famous. It's like, why, why did God choose to save the world in this way? Yeah. I think that that's such a a beautiful note to add on. And whether you're someone who loves Christmas music and can't get enough or, Kind of as as Melanie is saying there, you, you feel like you've ingested it all, and yeah. maybe lo- like something a little something new to to help jolt you into the holiday spirit. I can't not recommend Emmanuel the folk sessions enough. And Melanie, thanks so much for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me, and God bless you this Christmas season. All right, that was my chat with Melanie Penn. Emmanuel, the folk sessions is available right now on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon. I assume, like, is LimeWire still a thing? You can probably get it on LimeWire. Sure. You know, you probably shouldn't get it on that. I don't think she gets the royalties from that. Also, your computer will just (laughs) melt if you try to access LimeWire in the year of our Lord 2019. But it is available in all those places, a lovely chat, and a really cool Christmas record. All right, we're going to move on to our final question here. It comes in anonymously, and it says... I left my job last year and I've been working for our family business. We never go hungry. We still eat four meals a day, but it was so depressing for me. And I feel like I'm missing a lot in terms of my career. I looked for a job. I was excellent in first interviews, but I always got dumped on the last interviews. I don't know what seems to be the problem. I just feel like God's been blocking my path to reach my goals. I took some time to take care of my family and I told myself 2019 is my year. My hopes were so high, so high they could have reached the heavens. I did some creative work with some friends of mine, hoping that would get a break and directors and other people liked me. We even had a chance to make a series on YouTube. 
but I never got to do anything. It felt fruitless. I never got paid a cent. I kept my hopes up. I feel like I'm a strong, tenacious, smart, and talented person. I took development courses. I was excited to shift to a new career. But every time a door opens, it felt like God shut it down for me. I'm so exhausted of hoping and waiting, and I don't know where I and I don't know where I have a place for myself or what else to do. And Leah, let me get you kicks off here. There's obviously a lot going on here and a lot yeah. of sp- specifics, but I think we can all relate to that idea of feeling like we got fired up about something. We got fired up about something good. We got fired up about something that certainly seems that God does want for us. And in the specifics, it always feels like something's coming out of left field and knocking us off that path. So how do we start dealing with that? Yeah, that's a, that's a really great question. There's a lot, I just have a lot of thoughts from, from this, uh, from this question. And I want to start here, which is, I'm sorry that you're discouraged. Um, it feels like you have, you know, you've, you've had a a great attitude about, I'm going to help my family. I'm going to serve them. And then I'm going to, you know, I'm going to work hard at that. And then I'm going to work hard at my craft and I'm going to take these development courses and I'm going to interview at all these places. It feels like you've just gone about this, you know, you, you know, kind of guns blazing and, and with, with a good attitude and all that kind of stuff. And so I'm sorry about where you are and the, and the discouragement and frustration that you're experiencing. And at the same time, uh, it's interesting because in, in in thinking about what you're going through, there's a part of me that actually wants to go back to the thing that, that I was so hype about that Glenn said in the first answer is just, and that's just the timing thing is that I think that when we, when we get excited about something, we, we, we start to already see the story panning out. We, we see, um, you know, you were talking about your hopes and aspirations being like as, as high as the heavens. And we can kind of see that all panning out in, you know, six months or um, 18 months, and then I'm going to be where I want to be. And a a lot of times those things just take a lot more time than we could possibly imagine they would be. But I want to speak specifically to something that you're experiencing. And this is really the thing that's on my heart for you. And that is all of the things that feel like failures for you, you're learning. Um, You're learning stuff. And I know that's it's not what I would want to hear if I was in your place. And so um, if you're feeling that way, I, I get that. If, if I were you and I was listening to me, I would not want to hear somebody say, hey, you're learning stuff. So, you know, uh, at least you're learning things. I, I know that doesn't feel like the thing that you want to hear. Um, that doesn't change the fact that, that it is really, really true. You're going through, um, you're doing all these interviews, you're learning how to interview. You're taking development courses, you're learning how to better yourself towards goals that you want to meet. Um, you are, you're going through this process right now, which to me, the thing that it reminds me of is, you know, somebody that is, is having like, you know, they're not finding the love of their life and that it's the thing they want more than anything. And the problem is they've got this this unbelievably massive fear inside them that like, I am unacceptable and I'm unwantable. And the thing that that person needs to do more than anything else is just ask out a lot of people. Just ask people out, just, just ask them out. And some people are most, a lot of people are going to say no. And then somebody's going to say yes. And what you're going to find in that is when, when I ask somebody out and they tell me, no, the world doesn't end. Um, there's a fear inside you that is that says, if I put myself out there and I try this thing and I don't get it, then I'm not me anymore. 
and the world ends. Here's what you're learning right now. And I know it doesn't feel like this in the middle of it. I know that. But but hang with me for a second, because what you're learning right now is when you put yourself out there and you go for this thing and you don't get it, guess what? The world doesn't end. You're still you. You're still bold. You're still talented. You're still working on your craft. You're still working on all these things. You're bettering yourself. You're serving your family. And by the way, as you said in your question, you're still eating. Like every, you're, We're still making it. And that's a really, really good thing to know because there's a narrative that your fear wants to tell you, which is if you don't get this, everything is over and you don't matter anymore and you're not you anymore. And none of those things are true. It's a really cool thing to do this and to find out, hey, I'm still me. I'm still talented. I'm still bold. I'm still uh, somebody who loves my family well. I'm still, and by the way, I'm still making it. It's what you're doing right now is you're killing a fear inside yourself. And that is an important thing. It's an important thing to go through uh, situations where you realize, I'm not failing, I'm learning. In the middle of what other people call failures, I call these lessons. And I'm learning that these insecurities that I have, they can't hold me down. I might not get this thing, but I'm still me. I'm still talented. I'm still working hard. I'm still all these things. And one of the things that I've learned, like, just in years and years and years of doing music stuff uh, alongside Jed is, like, when, when Jed and I first met, I had this kind of idea of, like, I think I write these songs. And I think they're the greatest songs in the whole history of the world. And <clears throat> the thing I've found working with Jed is, okay, I need to spend 10, 12, 15 years just writing songs just writing songs about everything that I can possibly think to write and just get good at that. Uh, even if nobody pays attention and nobody listens. And all of those years, somebody could paint those things as failures, but I would paint those things as this was the growth curve. This is what it takes to realize that I actually know what it, what it takes to write, a, to write a good song and to, and to be the kind of artist that I want to be and all those kinds of things. What you're doing right now, somebody could paint it as a failure, but you're actually learning. You're putting in the time. You're putting in the time to, 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 to kill fears and to keep that boldness up, the boldness, the talent, all that stuff. None of that stuff changes about you unless you let that fear hold it down. But this is a unique opportunity for you to keep showing up. You're still eating, you're serving your family, and you are killing fears that would hold you back. Those are, those are good things. It definitely is. And Glenn, I'd love to get you to go here. I think it piggybacks exactly on what Lee is saying about the way we look at these things. And there's the way we look at them now. There's also the way we look at them with passage of time. You're talking about yeah. patience on a previous question. And this idea that I apply for the job, I get the job, I get the promotion, I you know run the company, I whatever. Nothing wrong with that. But maybe every time we run that story in our mind and more importantly, whenever we hear other people who are on the other side of that, tell the story about how that happened. There's a lot of negative space that just kind of gets, gets smushed in there. You know, it's kind of yeah. when they're editing a movie and, you know, they leave Moscow and the next scene, it cuts to Paris. Well, we don't follow them all the way because right. that's not really an interesting part of the story. Right. In the you, same way, you that, don't see them at baggage claim. Yeah, you know, yeah. Fill, fill, filling out the seven job applications is not yeah. really the part of the story any of us tell when we're talking about 
that job we got. That's right. How does that idea of the timeline and the way we think of timing play into this? Well, I think part of what you're pointing to is how much we deceive people with the way we tell these stories. And yeah. I think we deceive ourselves in that sense. We tend to edit out some of those things. But it's, if you think of it, uh, you know, if you have a really great meal that just looks fantastic, you are tempted to take a picture of that and put it on your Instagram if you're a certain type of person. I, I don't <laughs> happen to be that kind of person. I, I just eat it. But, you know, other people want to take a picture. But you don't, if, if you just get this really lousy food from a fast food place that looks terrible, it tastes terrible, you don't take a picture of that. Hey, everybody, here's my Big Mac that was sitting around for an hour before they served it to me. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, <laughs> so we, we, we sort of curate our lives by picking the good stuff. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm, I'm not at all vilifying that. But what I am saying is we then present it to younger people as, well, you know, I decided I want to do this, and then I did it, and then it happened. You know, and we're leaving out all the years of struggle. Uh, one of the things that uh, we talk about a lot, uh, Jed and I do, uh, with the musicians that he works with, is sort of this myth of the instant success. Yep. And it just never Ever, never, 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 ever happens. Yeah. It never happens. Almost all, if you say, here is a person who is famous, uh, or a, a movie about a person who becomes famous, you know, just a, a singer that starts in open mic night and yeah. whatever. It's always scene one, person says, you did it. You blew my mind. You rocked me. You rocked me. Here's your contract. You know, that's scene one yeah. in the movie. That's never how anything <laughs> ever, ever happens for anybody. Now, I recognize that's that's a little depressing on, on, on one front of just like you're, you're telling me I have to grind it all out and, and that, that stinks. I'd rather have instant success. And I can dig it. I, I, I want instant success for you. But let me ask you this question. Are you sure it would be better? Are mm. you really sure? I'm not trying to, p to get you to, to, to paint a, a, a smiley face on a bad situation. You apply for a job, you want to get the job. That's, you know, let's, let's all be honest. That's what, and that's what I want for you. I want you to just have the first job you apply for. But I think most of us, if we're going to tell an honest story about our past, we would say the things that were total disasters that we hated had a lot to do with our eventual success. You know, yeah. as, as Lee is saying, these are lessons, these are things that, that teach us. You know, I had a, uh, you know, a, a boss at one point in my ministry career before I started my own ministry who was kind of a disaster. And, I, you know, I couldn't think of any reason why the Lord would have me go through that. Well, eventually I start my own organization, and I am the boss, and I, I had a very clear sense of what not to be based on this guy. <laughs> and so that, that did help me quite a little bit. I mean, it really did make a difference. Uh, you, you know, so even those things that seem utterly pointless really aren't. Uh, I don't think instant success is better. I think having that experience of progressing through steps slowly it's less stressful. 
it's 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 hard on the old ego, but take your ego for a long walk in the woods and and come back alone, man. That's that's Amen. not uh, the ego is not helping you anyway. But let me give you an example though of you know if we compare it to the 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 first question where we're talking about patience and and taking time with with ministry. So here's a thing that happened last week in in our ministry. Now, let me lay out what's happening here. How, Jed and I meet many, many years ago. Uh, I began encouraging him and saying spiritual-sounding things, sure. uh, you know. And uh, then Jed begins to volunteer for us. Eventually, he comes on staff. He brings with him a, a buddy of his named Pete, and you know, Jed begins mentoring and encouraging Pete and. Pete eventually comes on staff with us, and you know, part of Jed's job is just doing you know sort of ongoing mentoring and encouraging that kind of thing. Now, Pete uh, is doing direct ministry in our bridge program with guys coming from residential drug rehab programs, from from jail houses, from halfway houses, all those kind of places. And there's one particular guy that he starts working with well enough to where he can be a regular volunteer with us, and that guy's name is Jeff. So Pete's working with Jeff and training him, giving him the same ministry training that I gave to Jed and that I gave to Pete and so on and so forth. So Jeff is now receiving this uh, this instruction, and, and he's helping us out in the service, making little announcements. Well, last week, Jeff preached. Okay, now when Jeff got up to preach, part of the guys in this room were guys that Jeff had ministered to in the residential program he was just released from that he brought to this service. Here's what I'm describing to you. A fourth generation of ministry removed from myself is speaking to a fifth generation of ministry. Right. That's what I'm describing. If you know another ministry that has that kind of depth to it, let me know. I'd love to meet him. It's a, this is as deep of a ministry scenario as you can imagine. And deep counts because this this can go and spread, and this is an amazing story. And the the guys absolutely just lost their minds with how much they loved Jeff, Jeff's preaching. It was really good and really effective, particularly for a first time guy. And you know his his mom was able to be there. It's amazing, right? But I want to tell you, uh, what, Jed, when did we meet? How many years ago would that be now? Two thousand two. Okay, so that's how long that story took to develop that I just yeah. told you, right? It took me about a minute and a half to tell you the story, and I didn't really give you any sense of the timeline, but that story started in 2002. Does that make it less cool of a story because it took that long to develop? Uh, I don't think so. I I think that the fact that it kept going over that whole period of time makes it even cooler. Uh, uh, also, here's another thing. I didn't have any doubt that that was going to do exactly what it did. That, you know, my my mentality is I'm getting to you. You're not getting to me. So I think you know, having that mentality and that approach to your career, to things you want to achieve in your life, that attitude of, uh, of being tenacious, that attitude of I am going to make this happen. I'm going to grind. I'm going to do whatever I need to do. I'm going to get where I'm going but I don't have to be in a hurry and I don't have to build my ego within that. I was just thinking as Glenn was describing this, it's just not only it does it take that long for that thing to happen. That's the only way that thing happens right. is, is over that period of time. So you can, 
you, there are people that have this quote unquote instant success and stuff like that. But anything that's real, it's like a law of gravity. It's going the law of gravity. It's going to take that long. Yep. Any anything that's real is going to be slow, messy, confusing, weird. It's going to hit odd corners at sometimes. It's going to feel like it's going to blow up at sometimes, and it's just going to take a long, long time like that. Amen. That's absolutely right. And Jay, I'd love you to close us out here. There's, I think we can all, I know everyone on this show can relate to that feeling of God is the one shutting these doors. Yeah. You know, cause it, it feels like a very natural inverse to say, okay, I know what it would look like in my mind for God to open a door Yeah, to, you know, get, I have a meeting with this person and we really hit it off and they say, oh, you should come in for this interview. And I go in and I interview and I dazzle them and then boom, boom, boom job. That's what it looked like. So to get any way down that path and get a kind of similarly inexplicable, because regardless of what your baby boomer, well-meaning baby boomer farmer may, may tell you young person, no one ever goes back to their interview and say, just in case you're wondering, young man, here's the reason we didn't hire you. Yeah. That's, that's not the way hiring works. You hire the person, you move on. You don't talk to people you didn't hire. So there's, it can feel that all of that's coming out of nowhere. It's inexplicable in a way that we, we just kind of have to uh, assign that to the divine. This was, you know, the, the the Lord is punishing me for something. How do we put the, as we often talk about the show, there's, that's going to be the initial feeling and that's a totally um, natural initial feeling. We're not judging it. I, as I've put it before, I get that feeling when I hit two red lights in a row Yeah, of just why has God deemed me to be his special reception of all the bad things in the world. His object of wrath. Exactly. But how do we push through that? And even when, it, when that seems to be the narrative, we can feel ourselves building. So I think that I know that happens to me. I think it happens to a lot of people. We can, f- I can feel myself getting in the narrative of the world is against me. Yeah. And so what do we do and what can we kind of switch that to, to help ourselves have that little bit of encouragement to, just enough to keep us going. That's a great question. Well, we're going to need to look a little bit at some nuance and subtlety for a moment. Boo! I know. Boo. <laughs> well, let's do the best we can and see how it goes. So I think there's a few different layers that are probably all true at the same time. The first is uh, there are plenty of times where the people who have the power, whatever that is, they're they're on the other side of hiring or the other side of college admissions or the other side of would you go out with me, Um, but they, it's their decision to make and they just make a dumb decision. That happens. Yep. And is God in favor of that decision that they made? No, but God also lets people make dumb decisions. That's the nature of the fallen world that we live in. So um, we've got one layer where just sometimes people for not a good reason and not with God urging them to, they just make a bad, dumb, stupid decision. That happens. So that's one layer. Here's the next layer. There are also times where we bring a lot to the table, but maybe there are actually factors that don't really have anything to do with us that we're not really aware of, um, where they, regardless of what God thinks or not, they made in a human sense a pretty good decision. It just wasn't what we wanted, you know? So you apply for a job. The thing is, you don't know who any of the other people applying for the job are, and maybe they were looking, you know, you're you're brand new and you're willing to work for, for less, but they actually want someone who's a little bit more experienced and they've got a little bit more budget for this, so they'd rather go with that. All right, so that's the next layer. Then the next layer after that is sometimes in life, 
we're, you know, we're trying to get into something and maybe we're not the best fit for it. That's not to say there's something wrong with us or bad about us, but you know, maybe, maybe we need a bit of work in areas. I know I need a bit of work in all kinds of areas. So there's that. So we've got multiple layers just on a human tip, leaving God kind of out of it, of just things that can be going on. And then we bring into the idea that sometimes God does close doors. You know, God really presses us as not, is not going to go this way. And I think in the midst of that, it can be very, very hard to know what to think. And it can be very, very hard, particularly emotionally, to have a good sense of what we're dealing with. But I think that there are, in those moments of feeling confused and feeling discouraged and feeling unsure, and we are so sorry that that's what you're dealing with. We love you. We believe in you. We're praying for you. And we stand with you. And to that point, in those moments where we feel pretty cruddy, I think there's three things that we really want to look at. The first, and, and these are all going to involve your spiritual life, the first is to, to pray and seek and ask the Lord and, and seek his voice again through the vehicle of wise counsel from other Christians, uh, the witness of God in Scripture, and the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. I think ideally, all three of those pointing in the same direction. God, are you telling me no? I've got this thing that's in my heart. I want to be a zookeeper. Are you telling me no? Sometimes that is the answer. That's just not what I have for you. But then there are other times we need to ask the Lord, okay, if you're not telling me no, are you telling me not yet? Because that's a completely different thing. Christians don't talk about that very often, but no and not yet are not the same thing. In fact, they, they don't even point in the same direction, but in the moment, they look identical. In the moment, you can't tell the difference by looking at it. So thing one, God, are you telling me no? Thing two, God, are you telling me not yet? I want to be a zookeeper, but maybe I need to go to college and get a degree in biology before that would really be a good idea. And then the next one, which is the one that this is, I give you permission to want to punch me because this is advice that I would hate if you preached it back to me. But God, what are the open doors I'm not seeing? What are the things you're saying yes to right now in my life that I'm not seeing and not paying attention to? Because there are always open doors in your life right now today. I guarantee it. If you're on the green side of the grass, there are always open doors before you right now today. They may not be in the areas that you want them to be in. They may not be pointed in exactly the direction that you want them to be in, but there's always hope. There are always open doors before you right now today. And the reason it's important to take a hold of those, to at least be aware of them and, and ideally begin pursuing them, is A, it's so much better than the despair of the thing I want appears to not be working out and that makes me very mad at the world. The other thing is, in, in my experience, if, if the Lord's word to you is not yet, this is not a no situation, it's a not yet situation, those other open doors are how we ultimately come around to the thing God does have for us. That's how we get from not yet to yes now, which is the thing that we all want to get to. It's those paths that seem circuitous, that's, that's how we get there. I am... I am blessed to know a lot of people that I love who've had in their own arenas of life a pretty wild degree of success in the things that they do. Um, I'm 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 proud of all of them. I, I admire all of them, and and I'll bust one of them out now. Uh, Lee is an amazing musician, and he has written worship songs that thousands and thousands and thousands of young people have sung and worshipped to, literally all over the world. This is a true fact. But the thing is. 
Lee didn't get there by following the obvious course that you would expect yeah. a person to do. He didn't move to Nashville and work for a mega church and then get signed to a recording deal. He didn't do any of that. What he did was he said yes to the next door God opened for him. Not the next door he thought should be open. The next door God was actually opening. And God brought that around to something really amazing. I think sometimes God does that on purpose to drive home the point, I, the Lord, have done this. It is not you who have done this. It is I, the Lord, who have done this. Yeah, sometimes there's something in your environment that's 80% of what you want, but it's 100% of what the Lord wants for you right now. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And again, I, you, know, you have my full permission to be mad at me because this is the world's least pleasant advice. I <laughs> hate it, and I give you permission to hate it. It, it's it's the it's the open doors though that are before you today that's how you get where you're going that's and again every person that i know who's done amazing things that's how all of them got where they're going i'm not sure i know a single person who's achieved real notice noteworthy success and is satisfied with it who got there on a straight obvious linear textbook path i don't think i know a single one and on that basis i'm not sure that's the right thing to shoot for instead ask the lord for the courage and strength. If his answer is not yet, ask for the courage and strength to follow what is open to you today, one day at a time. Indeed. We know I give you permission to hate it is not a bad pun, a bad slug line for this podcast. <laughs> you have our permission to hate it, the Say That Podcast. And if you would like to get in contact with us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. Tell song this week. It's appropriate. We did the grabs giving part. We'll take out with a little thankfulness. Speaking of Lee's musical prowess, a little song he did a couple years ago for us called Thank Harder. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Let's say that podcast asking science, why can't I buy it into an apple and get pudding? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I lost a job and I lost a tooth. I've been in cuffs from the sins of my youth. Well, I bounced a check like a basketball In case that ain't clear, that means repeatedly, y'all But I'm giving thanks for what I've got I'm giving thanks for what I'm not Yeah, all them dumb ideas I tried to be Some words that left my granny displeased But at my worst with no hope to see I saw that Jesus was still with me And I'm giving thanks for what I've got I'm giving thanks for what I'm not Yeah, all them dumb ideas I tried to be Well, I'm giving thanks for 
burn You know we all tried to touch that stove When we was burned 